The Courage to Lead, episode 93. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest this week. Uh, please help me welcome Deborah Crow. Deb is an executive and business coach. She has 30-plus years of global experience in top Fortune 500 companies in Canada, the United States, Europe, Asia, and Australia, leading and coaching C-suite leaders, executive and senior management professionals, and their teams. Deborah's expertise includes heart-centered leadership, education and coaching, leadership development, change management, talent and culture, diversity and inclusion practices, just to name a few. Deborah started and has been the CEO of her company in 1990 and knows how to get to the top, hold that senior position and integrate career and family. In her coaching practice, she provides the tools, strategies, programs, and support to help create meaningful change in their lives. Deborah prides herself on leading as a heart-centered leader who thrives on helping people become successful and fulfilled. Deborah's had the same challenges in her that her clients face. She is uh, remarkably familiar with the pressure of job deadlines, trauma, family obligations, and inadequate feelings. She's been there, done that, and knows that there is always a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it is dim. The hardest part is starting. Deborah's goal is to help people and organizations create an experience they envision and coach them to achieve their dreams, goals, and aspirations. Deb is a community builder, a hospice volunteer, hiker, traveler, yoga teacher, wife, mom, sister, and friend in her spare time. What spare time? What spare time? She has a deep passion for self-care and ensuring it is in your life first and foremost. Deb, welcome to the show. Oh, Harlan, thanks so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be with you today. This is awesome. What spare time? You sound like you're busy. You know... I'm so glad you asked me that. I, I get asked that all the time and I can, I can wholeheartedly tell you there's white space booked in my calendar every day to get outside, even in the winter. Very cool. I, you know, people say that's not possible. It, it is. If you plan your, your day, you can have all the free time you want. Absolutely. I never, and I never use the word busy. I always use the word intentional and we ah, need a break. I like that intentional. All right. Well, we are going to get intentional. We're going to talk about your background, how you got started, talk about your coaching, uh, a lot about heart-centered leadership, because I think that's really important to touch on, um, and your podcast. I want to talk about your podcast. But before we get started, we've got some things to take care of. First of all, the 10 questions I ask every one of my guests. Uh, these are questions made famous on the t- television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his guests from Hollywood TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you are ready, 10 questions. Question number one, Deborah, what is your favorite word? Heart-centered. Heart-centered. What is your least favorite word? Unkind. What turns you on? People. What turns you off? Hatred. What sound or noise do you love? The wind in the trees. 
What sound or noise do you hate? Yelling. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? That's a tough one, but I'm going to say probably the most, the number one, one that most people like that rhymes with duck. Okay. <laughs> that seems to be the most popular. Absolutely. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? It's interesting because I've done so many different things. And I think personal support worker or a nurse. Okay. And what profession would you not like to do? I wouldn't want to be picking up garbage. Okay. <laughs> that and politician are kind of running for the top spot. All right. Finally, Deborah, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would like to be, I would like him to say, welcome. Thank you for doing a good job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you have done a good job and you've done a lot of different things. I want to get into talking about all of that, how you got started, how you became a coach, uh, how you got involved in heart-centered leadership. And then we'll talk about leadership and courage. All right. So we'll get back to all of that. So listeners stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Deb Crow. Deb, again, thank you for coming out on the program. Appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. So tell me, how did you, how did you get started? You were in the medical field for a while. Tell me about that. I was. So I was in my second year of university and uh, my dad was quite sick. So I was actually going to school and caregiving for my dad by myself. It was uh, to look back now. I don't know how I did what I did at the tender age of 21 years old. Mm -hmm. So my dad died and I had to go to work because I had to support myself. I uh, became resilient real quick and I grew up real quick because I had no other choice. And I then landed up doing some uh, secretarial admin type jobs because I had worked for my dad's company. So I had those transferable skills. And then I went back to school and decided that I wanted to be a community-based case manager, and that's what I did. And I started my company at 24, uh, literally three years, almost to the day after my dad had passed away. It's crazy. So you were the only caregiver in the family? Were you? I was. I had older siblings that um, they just didn't know how to deal with it. I, it's funny because I'm the youngest of five, and I, I believe we all have this natural calling if we choose to, to listen and lean into it. And no one in the family was dealing well with my dad's illness. And I had my dad's mom, my Nana and myself, uh, my mom did not cope well with it. So she moved out 
And it was me and my 70 some odd year old grandma, my Nana and my dad. And it was rough. Cause I look back now and I realized the misdiagnosis and he had a heart condition, but he also had mental health and they didn't know what they didn't know back then in the eighties. Yeah. And so when I look back at the behavior and what I was trying to manage in a full-time university academic course load, I'm like, how did I do that? But you just do what you have to do. Yeah. And resilience is a great word for it, you know, because a lot of times, I mean, if you're a medical professional, you've been trained how to identify things and how to deal with them. If you're a family member, a lot of times the emotions come in first. You know, I know that when my daughter was sick, when she used to run temperatures, you know, 102, 104, I would panic because I had no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I can only imagine, uh, especially caring for an, a parent. That is tough. Yeah, it's, um, it was a really difficult time, but I've learned so much from that. And I mean, my dad's been gone. It was just 34 years a few weeks ago. Mm. And there's not a day I don't think about my dad. And I, I, I truly feel in my heart that I'm, I'm living out a, a legacy that he taught me in my entrepreneurship because he was an entrepreneur. Really? Awesome. What did he do? He was a um, pipe cover and insulation trade. So it's, it's very interesting because I now have nephews that are fourth generation in the same trade, which is lovely. But my dad was, you know, in the times with his dad where they were installing asbestos, which now my Mm -hmm. nephews are doing abatements for. So (laughs) it's just seeing that history full circle moment, you know, it's, it's just so interesting to sit back and reflect on it all. That's awesome. So the neurotrauma case manager, that's the business that you started? I did. So I, I started being a disability case manager and I realized there was so many cases of brain injury out there, whether it was from a workplace accident or a car accident or an aneurysm, or it didn't matter the reason. And there wasn't a lot of case managers specializing in that. So I added some specialty courses in neuroscience onto my disability management schooling. And then that's all I landed up getting for right up until 11 years ago. Wow. And then did you sell that business or just transition out? I transitioned out because I I also did short-term disability claims for executives. Okay. And I landed up getting uh, three vice presidents and two CEOs who had gone off on stress. And long story short, all five of them transitioned to a long-term disability claim. And then they were all diagnosed with cancer and became palliative. Mm. And I spent 10 months in hospice. So it was over a 10 month period that I lost all five. And it's really funny, Harlan, because nobody ever says my name is Deb. It's like Deb Crow is a noun and a verb. (laughs) And I sat with the executives in hospice and they were like, you know, you got to Deb Crow this, like you got to figure something out. Mm -hmm. And all five of them said the same thing to me during my, my last visits with them. I didn't speak my truth whether it be at home or at work. And I tolerated a toxic culture because of my stature. Wow! And that really hit home with me. So I thought, okay, how can I get out of the generalist space of managing sick, injured, broken people 
and get ahead of the curve and become what I like to call a preventionist. There you go. And I thought coaching, I need to, I need to get into some type of coaching with my neuroscience background and provide education and support because the business acumen and their academics get them along with their grit and their experience to the top of that proverbial white ladder. I want to make sure that they do it and not get sick on the way up or lose a marriage or relationships with children or grandchildren. And that has just become my passion. And I'm now coaching in five countries. Wow. That is excellent. Yeah. The, the toxic culture, you know, so many people, you hear them go in or go out on medical leave or something, and it's all stress-related. That stress, if it's not managed, if you can't do something to head that off, can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. And do you think that's what happened to every one of those? those oh, I, know. Oh, I, I can tell you wow. wholeheartedly, that's exactly what happened. And two of them were marathon runners. Like outside of work, they were physically fit. So this is where the yoga teacher, you know, came in because I wanted to dig deep into the philosophy of yoga so that it was aligned with my neuroscience education and experience, you know, and we are not meant to swallow our thoughts or emotions. And when you do that over, you know, a continued period of time, your body responds. So when people say they feel crunchy or I hear things like, you know, I've got the typical aches and pains, Mm Deb, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I don't. We can't hold on to that emotion within our heart or our mind or our soul because our body will eventually break it down. And that's where the dis-ease comes in. Yes. And that's exactly what happened with all five of these people. So it took me 10 years to talk about this because it was a lot. Mm -hmm. And every Wednesday morning, I still go to hospice and volunteer. Wow. That is excellent. So tell me about your coaching. How do you, how do you do this with, are you working with, you say the leaders and their teams, right? I'm working with, um, depending on the sector, because every sector or geographic region has different titles, but I work with team leads and their teams within organizations right up to the C-suite leader, including the CEO. And I've uh, prided myself on that. I have an, an amazing assessment that's based on neuroscience, but it doesn't measure personality. It measures behavior. And I always have fun with my CEOs and they're like, how did you know this, Deb? Or how did you interpret this? And they pick the answers. So I always, you know, I'm already going in with the value add because data doesn't lie, right? Right. Absolutely. And my background is organizational change management. So I'm right in there with you. It's behaviors. You're you're looking for observable behaviors. What do you see? Not what you're telling me, not what your your value statement says. What are you seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, do you have any, any stories that have come out of that? Something that, uh, that you saw yeah, walking I, in? I mean, I have many. There's a, there's a couple that um, always come to top of mind. A lot of times I find with chief financial officers or the head of engineering or someone who may be working with math. So any, let's say bio, biotech, let's say the tech sector. I find that those sectors get a bad rap. And what it is, is most of those leaders have an incredible IQ, but with their upbringing and schooling and outside experience, 
EQ has never been allowed to have representation. And a lot of that has to do with ethnicity and culture. So when people say DNI, it drives me crazy because I believe that those two words should be spoken. Let's start saying diversity and inclusion because everything else in our life is truncated or acronymed or supersized or, and I find that's been the, the constant for me over the last 11 years. So there's one particular uh, company that I work with and they had a new CFO who had just moved to the United States from Africa. And the CEO called me and he said, I can't work with this gentleman. I can't talk to him. He doesn't listen to me. Hmm. And as soon as I saw his surname, I, I recognized that he was from Namibia because I had another client from Namibia that I coached. And I thought, I wonder if anybody's taken the time to be heart centered and really value the connection. And that's how I started talking to him. I said, are you any chance from Namibia and his face lit up? And this is after the CEO said to me, you know, he's flat. He's got no effect. He's got no personality. He doesn't laugh. So it was funny. The more trust and rapport Um, You just saw the wall of resistance come down with him. And he is one of my favorite clients. We still stay in touch to this day. And I remember the first time that he smiled because he just had this beautiful set of white teeth. And I said to him, wow, like, look at your teeth. And, you know, like I'm always the one to instill a little bit of humor, especially when we're, you know, really in a deep thought conversation about something serious where it's, you know, we have to talk about doing a shift in their own behavior. But I always ask people to sit in the observer's chair as well with me, because I think given the unprecedented times that we've had, I just think it's exacerbated a lot of things on the home front for people. And I just want organizations globally to not sway away from their rules and protocols and regulations, but we have to show a little bit more ease to people and we need to sit in the observer's chair and not get caught up by stats or analysis of data or experiences that we're told. I think sometimes we just need to sit and listen yeah. and just let that person know that you're there, you're present and, and value the situation, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And it's funny because I, I hear, I hear every day, but Deb, that's such common sense. That's ridiculous. And I'm like, you know what? You're That's right. The problem. But it's not your common practice. That's exactly. the problem. Yeah. So it's, you know, like I love, I love the, the name of your podcast. Sometimes it's really hard to have courage to lead because you got to tell leaders things that they don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's our job. I think as, as coaches and consultants, but I, it is. And I, I, you know, Irish Nana, everything can be delivered with a little bit of sugar. Sure. Absolutely. Um, but diversity and inclusion, that's, that's a big topic these days. Is, is that tough for some of these managers to get their heads around? I don't think it's tough. I think some, at least who I have been working with, I think they get caught up on the why it's come to the forefront. And I said to them, things that happen on a global level that land up in our news, that land up really having a shift within a company, whether it's a culture shift or implementation of a new policy, we learn from history. Mm -hmm. 
And if his, if history doesn't repeat itself, then we're doing a good job. But when you keep having the same thing happen over and over again, it's getting that company to turn the mirror back on themselves and go, this isn't working. Yeah. And I think uh, the understanding exactly what it means, diversity, mm -hmm. equity, inclusion. Um, had, I had one CEO say, well, we have a woman on our board of directors. Yeah. Said, wow. Yeah. Big pat on the back for you. <laughs> you know, that's not what it means. I mean, that's, that's no. a, a good step forward. But there's a lot more that goes into that, right? What is your um, the demographic of your your company? You know, your people, the area your business is in, and stuff. Uh, I think your board, your executive team, should mirror that that group. You know, I agree. I least. agree with you, and I'm I'm glad you brought up that example because I know another company who fired their CEO. Um, not warranted. Um, it's not a good situation. And instead of um, putting in uh, an interim CEO, they had somebody in on contract, a black woman, and they put her in thinking that that was going to kind of appease everything. And it really blew up in their face. Yeah. And they don't bring in external coaching. They think coaching can be done inside with HR and change management. Hmm. And it's like, you can't be a one size fits all. And it's a very toxic culture. And it breaks my heart because they're losing amazing people because people are getting sick. And the millennials that have gone to this particular company, they don't stay because they're not treated very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's happening with, with companies of all different sizes. I was just at a, a chamber meeting earlier today and people are saying that, you know, they'll hire somebody, they'll come in for a week or two and then just walk away at lunch. All their keys are left on the desk and they just walk out. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the culture, you know, the, it does. Yeah. And this, you know, everybody's going on and on about this resignation boom. This isn't new. People are just paying attention because they have time. Yeah. Millennials don't want managers either. They want leaders and yeah. they want heart centered leaders because if they're not treated well, that's what they're doing. And if they leave the keys on the desk, that's a bonus. Most of them just <laughs> ghost start. and leave because they're yeah. offered amazing signing bonuses to go to another company who's rolling out the red carpet saying, we would love to have you. Sure. And, and I think social media has a lot to do with that. It, you know, it used to be you would hear through the grapevine of some company was hiring. Now it's instantaneous. It's on your phone. You know, someone's hiring. You can see the people who work for that company raving about the, the management they have or our team, they, they listen to us. We're part of the, you know, the company, we feel like we're part of the company. There's growth here. It's in your hand. You have that available right there. And I think people see that and think, why can't I have that too? And they're leaving jobs and taking a cut in pay just to have the culture that they want. It's, I call it life by design. Mm -hmm. So many couples, especially uh, where both parents are working with young kids, just to use it as a, a basic example. I had one client that said, my wife and I are both taking a pay cut. We're actually changing sectors and we're home every night with our kids and on the weekend. And we thought we'd hate it and we love it. Yeah. And we, and we realized what's important. I know executives that have moved from the city to the country. Yeah. People I finally, you know, as much as this pandemic has done all kinds of things. 
there's been, and I stayed and I stay focused on this. There has been so many good blessings Mm -hmm. that have come out of COVID. And I, and I know there's lots of bad things as well, but I want to stay completely positive and and optimistic on this. People have realized and gone back to the basics of what's really important in life. And to me, that's success. Absolutely. Yeah. I've got a friend that he and his wife and their three kids and two dogs and a cat or something like that. I think they sold their house, sold everything, bought a big 30 foot camping trailer and they travel the country. He works remotely. His wife works remotely. They visit their clients in the different cities that they go to and just their loving life, you know? Wow. That is awesome. So talk to me about the heart centered leadership. Oh, well, you know what? I have to give a shout out to the woman who started this all, Susan Steinbrecher, because she put us together. Um, She wrote the book on it with Dr. Joel Bennett. And I created a heart-centered leadership model that I align or put on top of my six-month coaching program for my executives. And it's, it's serendipitous for me because when I had those bosses after my dad died, right till I started my company, I used to get told things like, you're too happy, you're too shiny, you're too loud, you're too gregarious, you're too verbose, you're just too, 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 whatever. And heart and love had no place in any kind of business languaging or within my behavior of me being in a facility that's exuding excellence in business acumen. Mm -hmm. So I realized through my research, and this just happened two years ago uh, in 2019, I was speaking at an international women's event on International Women's Day. And there was a doctor that spoke before me and she brought up that she had done some research and a white paper on tall poppy syndrome. Mm. And I had never heard of that. And she described basically, which was three years of hell for me with bosses that could see I had leadership qualities, but they didn't want to foster it. They just made my life miserable. And there was nothing I could do because I needed to support myself. But you know what? I would not go back and change that because now that I'm coaching, I realized that all that, that mean girl, you know, behavior that was towards me had nothing to do with me, but it's interesting that this research came out of, I think it's Australia or New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I experienced. So what it did for me that night was I got up and told my story instead of, um, the talk that I had prepared. And I thought, well, this is kind of a full circle serendipitous moment. And I had so many people come up to me after and they're like, oh my gosh, like this happens to me all the time at work. So if that's, you know, one big thing, I hope my heart centered leadership content and posters that I've sent out. I don't even know how many countries we've sent our posters out to now. I just want people to know that these are my top 20 heart centered leadership qualities and it's integrated into my coaching and you can be at the top and be healthy and be kind and not be seen in any other light other than professional and heart centered. Who would not want someone to talk about them in that context? Absolutely. Yeah. I had a guy in the podcast uh, about a month or so ago and he wrote a book called love is a business strategy because his business almost failed and he 
realize it was him that was causing it. He created the the toxic culture. He lost some of his top employees and he had to basically get on his knees and apologize to every one of those people. And he wrote the book about, you know, why loving your team and supporting your team and, and building a culture of, of love and care and, you know, value uh, was so important. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's every Wednesday I still go to hospice and you know, today was a great example. I was there this morning and a gentleman had passed away Mm. and his two daughters were there and they were probably similar to my age. And they said, how do you come here? And my answer is always right there. I said, because I was you just a really long time ago. I'm just a little farther down the road. And I mean, hospice for me is a weekly grounding it, it keeps the legacy alive in me of my five executives who I made a promise. And I told them that I will do this for the rest of my life. And I will, I always get asked when I'm going to retire. I'm only 55. Like that's young. young. Mother-in-law is going to be 95. So, you know, I might, I might consider to say she's a little bit old, but I mean, my gosh, 55 nowadays is like the new 35, right? Absolutely. And I just, you know, I think if we get these moments in time that we can just anchor our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts and just not get caught up in the experiences, but just, just sit with them. Nice. So what does heart-centered uh, leadership coaching look like? When you work with a, an executive, let's say an executive calls you and says, I, I want some help with this. You've got an assessment that you do with them. What does that tell you? And then how do you use that to bring them to so that? Heart the center? assessment gives me six different areas of habit where I, I don't like to use the word strength and weakness. I like to use over-focus and under-focus. Okay. And for me, I always see where I can help them be more self-directed so they don't land in the valley of obligation and where being mindful of words is probably the number one thing that most executives say, because people, again, I have to get executives to sit in the observer's chair for the C-suites. So I can say, you know, you're one piece of the pie. They're managing the whole pie. You know, it's kind of like at the beginning of COVID, the CEOs were told by the board of directors or the stakeholders, whoever, you know, keep doing a good job and don't lose us any money and make sure we don't lose any of our good staff and just keep going. Well, we don't have a history for them to lead through something like this because none of us were alive. So it's been unprecedented stress. So I get them to stay focused on self-care. I get them to stay focused on connection with people. And I've had them because they, everything's been so virtual. And a lot of my, my clients are not back even to a one day a week hybrid workflow. I have them turn their camera off and close their eyes in meetings. Hmm to be really present. And they argue with me and it usually takes me about three times. And I always say to them, you want to get to a mind of clarity. And once I get you to a mind of clarity, then I'm going to teach you how to lead with equanimity. And when we do that, they fight me all the way. And then when they get there, they're like, this is good. And it's like you said, a couple of minutes ago, the logic is there and the emotion doesn't have a chance to creep in. So then they don't have to be worried or mindful of their words because they're leading with equanimity. Yeah. Very cool. I'm taking a course right now on uh, positive intelligence, the PQ. 
and just how we have those saboteurs that are talking to us. You know, everybody has these little voices that say, oh, you're not good enough. You'll never be able to do that. That's not going to work. Who do you think you are? And just taking time out when you hear that voice to stop, take a deep breath, push that aside and get back to what you need to do, right? Find that, that balance and, and keep going. And it's, it's helped a lot taking those little moments to just close your eyes, take a couple deep breaths and focus and then get back in, step in. Well, I can tell you as a yoga teacher, six deep diaphragmatic breaths physiologically resets your body. Awesome. We always have time to breathe. Absolutely. Absolutely. But with intention. Absolutely. Not just, I mean, we all breathe, <laughs> but that we all, we all it's funny down. you say that we all, we all breathe like dogs. Like mm-hmm. when I used to be presenting in front of actual people, I used to take the mic around and we're, we're shallow breathers. We're not deep breathers. So when you actually, you know, live in the moment and take that intentional deep breath, most people love it. And then I have them exaggerate the exhale just so they can sigh away the last meeting or the morning or whatever it might be. Right. It's there's, we have a lot of power in our breath. Yeah. Very cool. And so uh, heart centered leadership. Now you've got your podcast. Tell me about the podcast. So the podcast was born out of the first eight weeks of COVID all my executives were saying like, what do I tell my people? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do you tell your people? And we got talking about imperfection and vulnerability and some of the heart-centered leadership traits and qualities that they have and that they're working on. And I kept hearing myself saying imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. And then I was like, okay, that's the name imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. And then that's when I found Susan Steinbrecher and I wrote her an email and it sat in my inbox drafts for five days. Cause I mm. thought she's probably going to say, why are you doing this? And I did the whole imposter syndrome that you just talked about. And then finally I got the courage to lead and I clicked sent and I sent the email and I got the most beautiful email back from her within an hour. Wow. And then we had a zoom call and she's my, she was my first guest for season one. And we've become really good friends and we have uh, zoom meetings once a month and we have coffee and we chat everything heart centered. And um, she was like, go for it, do it. Like she was my biggest cheerleader. And I think we're on episode 137 season two. Um, My goal was a hundred leaders in the first year. And I achieved that. And I, I just felt so much joy because like you, I love talking to people and I always learn, learn, learn. And I love getting into a great intellectual conversation about anything around leadership. But when we really dig into heart centered, when someone has never been called a heart centered leader and you recognize them as one, that to me is what, that's what gets me all revved up every day. Absolutely. But it, it, Got to admit, some people probably hear heart-centered and think, uh, this is soft, soft skill. It's, you know, mamby-pamby. Oh, that's not me. I'm a, a tough leader. I'm a good, strong leader. Being a strong leader is not, you know, it, it, not mutually exclusive, right? You can be a heart-centered, strong, courageous Absolutely. leader. And I, that, that to me is one of the blessings of COVID. Because you find a heart-centered leader... What do you see 
behind them, a team who looks up to that person is not afraid to approach that person. There's, there's no wall there. It's open door. They model self-care. They're vulnerable. They're communicative. They're trustworthy. And the big one, there's always that approachability to offer a safe and welcoming environment. Nice. Very nice. So let's talk about courage. Um, where did you find the courage to, to step out and create your own, your own business and start? Where did that come from? September 13th, 1987, the, uh, the morning my dad died. And it was interesting because the night before I had chatted with him and I just, I had that little feeling in the pit of my gut that that was it. And we had a really good conversation and he said, um, you need to work with people. And he said, you're, you're smart girl. You'll figure it out and go out on your own you'll be okay. I'll always be with you. And, um, yeah, like I just, it's so funny. Cause I left that hospital that night and I just had that, that gut feeling. And then six 30, the next day, the hospital called and I rushed up, but he had already passed away. So 21 years old is pretty young. Yeah. I now have a 23 year old. So I think 21 is pretty young. I, I think really that's a formidable age. I don't think it's the preteen teen. I think that early onset of your adult years of coming into your own. And there wasn't a supportive mother there. My mom was an alcoholic. She suffered from mental health. Like she had her own um, difficulties in life to say it nicely. So it was like, okay, you can either sink or swim. And I just kept hearing my dad's voice going, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. And that resiliency has carried me for three decades because a lot of people, I've had a lot of loss, friends, family situations. I feel like I've had a little more than the average bear, but you know, every Wednesday when I walk out of hospice, I automatically look up and it's kind of like, I know, like I feel abundantly grateful for my life. I feel abundantly grateful for my business. I always feel like when you wake up, you got another day to, to just be better, you know, be a better person, better wife, better mom, all the different hats that we wear as human beings, but I just don't take anything for granted. And I really bask in the enjoyment of living in the present moment. Nice. So with the, the leaders you work with, um, if you could give them, uh, any, I, well, pause. I'm going to, I, I had a question and it slipped away from me. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to edit this out. Um, not recommendation, but word of advice, I guess would be it. All right. So with the leaders you work with, if you could give them a, a word of advice, as far as the type of courage maybe they need to find or, or bring out, what would that be? What kind of courage is, is either lacking or, or they're struggling with? You know, it's such a good question. I think if, I think if they look at courage, I would put it on the same parallel as heart centered. It doesn't matter what your IQ is or your EQ is it. None of that matters. 
you have an opportunity in a moment in time to be a good person mm-hmm. and, and your title and your stature are irrelevant. So doing that daily audit of how can you show up and be a better leader? What can I elevate today? It has to start with them. And if they're not secure in their own self, especially self-awareness, then self-awareness builds self-love and self-love builds self-care. And when you've got that trifecta and you've got it solid, people see it. When you're happy on the outside and you're, you know, actually gregarious and just a nice person, Mm -hmm. people see that they're drawn to that. Absolutely. And you don't want anything. You just want to interact with that person. It's not a transaction. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just bask in that glow. But if, if courage is feeling the fear and doing it anyways, then what are they fearing? What's holding them back from opening up? Is it? Absolutely. It's judgment, especially this is where the diversity and inclusion comes in. When you look at leaders around the globe and you look at some ethnicities, perfection is visceral for them. It was, it was brought into their world, into their vantage point at a very young age, you know, schooling and performance and, you know, fun was not part of their upbringing. I see that now because they're all in their late thirties to early fifties. And they finally get a chance to pause and exhale And they say, what do you mean ability to fail forward? And I'm like, I've made so many mistakes in my life as a woman, as a wife, as a mom, as an entrepreneur. And like, if I can't look in the mirror and have a good laugh at myself and say, well, that was pretty stupid or, okay, let's get back up and try it this way. You will not find a success story around the globe. Forget about the title and the stature or the influence Everyone you ever read about or hear about in the news now who's done anything magnificent, and even the ones that have and don't need the glory, they've had tremendous failures. Mm -hmm. And I just think that another blessing of COVID, more people are talking about it now. Yeah, absolutely. But I think some of the, the role models we had growing up. You know, I talked to one guy, um, the, the gentleman I talked about before that wrote the book, um, Love is a Business Strategy. He said that his role model in business was the person that yelled, that belittled the person, that pushed everything back on them. It's all your fault. You're the reason we're failing and everything like that. That was a model that a lot of these people grew up with. How do you shake that? How do you let go of that model and accept, hey, there's a better way to do this? I can honestly tell you, most of the COOs that I work with, that is the exact situation especially men, most of the male CEOs, and I'm not, I'm not discluding females. I'm just saying it based on who I've worked with. They have said, do you want to know why I'm a good leader, Deb? Because I had a horrible boss. They yelled at me. They belittled me. Nothing was ever good enough. I didn't get clear instructions and now I'm a good leader. And now I want you to help me become a heart centered leader. At least they acknowledge it. And that's, I think that's, they do. The key, and that's, right? I mean, that's massive. 
Yeah. Right. And it's funny because I'll start working with them. And usually within four weeks, the CEO will call, will call or the CFO will call and say, what are you doing with him or her? <laughs> like, who is this COO? And I'm like, I'm just giving them different contexts to, you know, chat with you, listen to you. And it's always fun because multiple companies at an executive level, let their executives pick their own coach. And I think that's important because mm -hmm. I think picking your own coach is like picking your own house and your own car. It's personal. Yeah. And there has to be that trust and rapport and not everybody's personalities gel or everybody's styles. So it's always fun when I go in because I have all my materials and they have it hanging up in their office. And right. it's not like, you know, we we're, we're doing hearts and rainbows and unicorns. It's showing up in their behavior and when it's first noticed so early in the game, that always gives me feedback that I'm doing the right thing and to always continue. And it touches all aspects of their life, right? At work, at home, everything yeah. gets better. You know, we get, we get signs when we're always open. Like today, when I met this family after they lost their dad, the one daughter gave me a pink heart stone. Hmm. And she's like, I just want to give you this. Nice. And I was like, okay, I'm heart centered. I said, I'm going to carry this in my pocket. And it's just, you know, it's those small things tucked into the corner of each day. If you're really open to see and hear and observe, you'll find them all day long. And I'm always looking and I always, there's always little things. It might be a sign or I might see somebody or somebody will say something, or it's just, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it, it's just that continuity of openness that I know I'm going to stay present and live in the now. And it's just, it's just such a glorious place to be. Nice. Very cool. So what's next? For you what's next for deb crow i mean you've done a lot of things you've accomplished a lot you've got your programs you've got your podcast what's next well it's funny i get asked this all the time i started writing a book last year and then i realized i was actually writing two books so okay. i've spoke to a lot of authors and they've laughed and they're like yep welcome to the process so i'm just i'm just allowing myself to write as it comes. I'm getting into more of a daily routine of writing. I just really didn't think I was going to be writing too. And I'm, I'm now deciding which one I really want to release first, but that's always been on my life list. I like to use the term life list, not bucket list. And I think for me, that's going to be my, my full circle because I would have loved for my dad to have been here because he would have been a, a huge, you know, supporter and let's get this done. And he, he would have just been over, over the moon with all this technology and things that have happened over the last three decades in terms of where the world has gone. So I would like to get my book done, but I'm not going to put any pressure or expectation yeah. because I just... I want to, I want to write and I want it to flow and I want it to just present itself at the right time. Nice. And your dad is there. And my He's dad there. is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What about the podcast? You're in season two now. Oh my gosh. We're in season two. It is the light of my life. I like you, I love my podcast. 
so many people say, you know, what do you do with the podcast? And I have the same answer every time I'm asked that. I am having meaningful conversations one at a time. I have met incredible people all over the globe. I have some new friends from this podcast and I, it took my coaching business to five countries Nice. and I'm just, um, yeah, no expectation, having fun, sharing love and heart around the globe, I think it's going to have a ripple effect and I'm just going to keep on doing it. Cause I never wake up every day thinking, Oh, I got to do the podcast. I love I doing the podcast. Absolutely. That is awesome. Yeah. I've loved this. In fact, you are episode number 93. So I'm almost, I'm well, approaching that one mark. Yes. You know what? I, I, I feel your joy and I align with it because, uh, I think most people that start a podcast and keep it going, we are like-minded people. We love people. Absolutely. And the stories, like I said, the stories are just amazing. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with all these stories. I've learned so much when you ask people about courage, what courage means to them, the type of courage they had to find, the situations they've come through. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. If people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's your website? My website's very easy. It's debcrow.com and okay. crow has an E on the end. It just means I'm Irish Harlan. That's it. <laughs> I too, according to uh, ancestry.com, 40 something percent, I think 42% Irish. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Very cool. And uh, on your website, do you have all the information on the heart centered? I do. We have a podcast tab and the latest episodes there. And I think there's about 12 or 13 platforms that it goes out. So people can just choose whatever their favorite platform is to, to grab the the latest episode and they can subscribe to it. And we send it right to their inbox every Wednesday and Friday. Very nice. Good job. Um, And the programs you run are, they're mainly your, your coaching programs for the executives and the team leads and everything like that. Do you have anything for just general population? If they have questions? I do. I have a, I have a truncated version of my program that's online um, and it's under courses. And I also have a self-care course. So they're both on my website as well. Excellent. All right. Well, I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can find you and find the information. Um, And when your book is out or, both books, eh, whichever one comes out first, we'll have you back on the show and have you talk That's about awesome. it again. Thank you. I appreciate cool. that. I've enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely. Deb, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Listeners, I hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good takeaways from here, but definitely go check out debcrow.com and get all the information there and check out heart-centered leadership because it's definitely something we need more of. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And listeners, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. 